spookies and welcome back to the Appalachian Spooky Hour podcast. If you can hear some nice ambient background noise this evening, that's because it is raining so incredibly hard on the tin roof over my head right now. But I didn't want to delay recording. I wanted to get this done so we could get this episode straight to you guys on time. So let's just get right into this because this is one of the weirder stories I think I've told here so far. Different weird from the Philippi mummies, but still just bizarre, you guys. Like, crazy. So our story begins in the year 1794, thereabouts, in what is now Middleway, West Virginia. At the time... The state of West Virginia did not yet exist, and this area was still technically part of Virginia. It's important to note that a lot of what we know about this story was passed down through the oral tradition, which means facts may have changed over time, or information was embellished or lost. It is important here, I think, to interject the importance of the oral tradition to the Appalachian region and to any region that's rich in history and folklore. I mean, this is a podcast about the same tales and and folklore and cryptids and things that people have been talking about for hundreds of years now. We're still practicing the oral tradition of Appalachia, and I think that's awesome. And just wanted to take a brief moment to recognize that. But I'm going to try and piece this together to the best of my ability to kind of give you guys the most accurate story that I can. Also, it's worth mentioning here that the Reverend Alfred E. Smith, who was the editor-in-chief of the Catholic Review, is quoted as having said that this is the truest ghost story ever told. As we just learned, the story begins in 1794, and it starts with a man by the name of Adam Livingston. Livingston was a pretty devoted Lutheran who had just recently moved to the Middleway area. He had come from Pennsylvania, where he'd apparently owned quite a lot of land. The choice to move came about when, for reasons that are said to be unknown, a rush of bad luck hit his farm. His cattle started to die, his barn burned down, and there were other incidents that just pushed him over the edge. He wanted a fresh start, so he and his family simply packed up and moved. Though, as fate would have it, they would not fare much better in Middleway. The family settled onto a 350-acre farm, and for a while, life was pretty normal until the stranger arrived. A man knocked on their door one night, asking to lodge in their home. He was traveling and needed a place to rest. Livingston, being the kind man that he was, allowed this man into the family home. Sometime during the night, the stranger fell sick, and his situation went from bad to worse very quickly. He told Livingston that he wouldn't live to see the light of day and begged them to bring a Catholic priest into the home to give him the last rite before he passed away. 
Now, this is where there are two versions of the story here. One in which there's simply not a priest available anywhere nearby, therefore no one could fetch one to their home. And in another, Livingston's wife flat out refused, as a Lutheran, to have a priest enter their house. Either way, no priest came and the stranger did indeed die before dawn broke. It's said that once the man had passed, the candles in the room where his corpse lay would not stay lit. The first glimpse, I suppose, of things to come. The stranger was buried nearby without a Catholic service. And that is when things really began to happen around the Livingston home. Livestock began to die again, just as it had back in Pennsylvania, which was at this point the least strange thing going on. Livingston and his family started to hear loud banging on the walls of their home, and weirdly, the sound of galloping horses. These events would kind of happen out of nowhere, with no rhyme or reason. Pottery would fall off the shelves and smash against the floor. Objects would be flung through the air. And the heads of geese and ducks on the property just kind of fell off. Like someone was cutting them off with a huge pair of invisible shears. One morning, a man traveling by wagon stopped to ask the Livingstons why they'd blocked the road by stretching a rope across it. This happened frequently and was reportedly experienced by other travelers. They would attempt to cut the rope, though the knife would seemingly pass right through without cutting it at all. Strangest of all, however, is the phenomenon that gives our story its unusual name. A noise was often heard in the Livingston home. A sharp clipping sound, like, you know, when you snap scissors quickly. That metal-on-metal metal scissor noise. The family's clothing, tablecloths, bed coverings, and other items were cut up into crescent shapes. This sound was also heard when the poor geese and ducks were um, rendered headless. It didn't seem to matter where the cloth or material was, everything was clipped. Even clothing that people were wearing at the time, such as visitors to the home who were eager to experience the bizarre happenings, which brief interlude, why? If there's some mysterious unseen force just randomly cutting things with invisible scissors, I don't want to check that out, but okay. There was one visitor who took off her hat and wrapped it in a handkerchief in hopes of keeping it safe. When she went to leave and unwrapped her hat, the silk had been cut to shreds. It's believed that the term wizard clip came to be because of the strange crescent shape found in a lot of the cut material. It's almost as though they were associating the shape itself, that crescent moon shape, with being something tied to the occult. It was at this point that Livingston sought out a religious solution 
to the issues going on around his farm. He touched base with his own Lutheran pastor, but was turned away because the minister declared it that it wasn't within his power to banish evil from their home. So, Livingston started looking elsewhere. He reached out to an Episcopalian minister and was even visited by a preacher from the Methodist Church. He brought in conjurers, too, folks who declared they could help, but each of these people was met with flying stones and other physical attacks. Adam Livingston was in dire straits now, and it was causing him to lose his faith in God completely. Then he had a vision. He dreamed of a man in a long cloak and concluded that this meant he should reach out to the Catholic Church for help. He found Reverend Dennis Cahill and invited the man to the home. Cahill supposedly said a few prayers, sprinkled some holy water, and then weirdly enough, some money that had been misplaced in the home just appeared at Cahill's feet as he was leaving. And the strange occurrences did stop, but only for a few days. Eventually, the events kicked up again, and Cahill returned to the home. He and another man, Reverend Dimitri Galitzin, I might be mispronouncing that. It could be Galitzin, but we're going to go with Galitzin. Anyway, they performed an exorcism on the house. Allegedly, the house shook violently, rattling and rumbling. Cahill then held a mass in the house. And that's when the haunting kind of stopped. Note the kind of part there. After the exorcism, the family began to hear something that they referred to as the voice. The priest continued to visit the family, bringing them into the Catholic Church. They claimed that the voice was teaching them about Catholicism and piety, and it was said to have regularly commanded them by saying, I want prayers. These events pushed Adam and his family to become full Catholic converts. In 1802, around February, Livingston gave a portion of his property to the Catholic Church and then moved back to Pennsylvania where he died in 1820. His donation came with the stipulation that a member of the clergy would always be on the land and that any profits would be put toward building a church on the land and its upkeep and repair. To this day, the land still belongs to the church, and it's now known as the Priest Field Pastoral Center. It's a retreat used for all sorts of clubs and groups to meet. They say that there are no further ghost stories that have taken place there, but it's also been in the hands of the church for over 200 years now. If you visit Middleway today, you can find different locations from the original story. They're marked with historical markers that have a crescent moon and shears in opposite corners, a nod to the legend of Wizard Clip. This story is so weird, you guys, but also kind of a fun and wild ride. I'm sure, of course, that some of the story's been twisted a bit by the church, you know, to make them look like heroes. I'm not saying that the priest didn't actually do something for the family. I'm just saying it's very easy to see how and why certain things were likely embellished. 
As for what the spirit actually was, I have no idea. What kind of ghost gets its revenge by slicing up clothing and cutting heads off ducks? It's almost beyond just being weird. One more thing of note is that Father Glitzen went on to become known as the Apostle of the Alleghenies, and in 2005 attained the first step towards sainthood by being designated as a servant of God. The Vatican has to take further steps to canonize him. That hasn't happened yet. Have you guys been to Middleway? There's a walking tour you can take, and it's apparently very interesting. I'd like to visit sometime just to see some of these places for myself. Honestly, though, I'm still trying to wrap my head around a vengeful spirit that likes to bang on walls and cut things with scissors. Like, this one was a weird one. Like, it really was. Alright, guys. Um, before we end this episode, we did have a submission from one of you. This was submitted to us by Lily. Lily, we read your email. We're so excited that you really, really love the podcast and we're super stoked to read your story. Um, guys, I'm going to read this verbatim. Um, this is from Lily's email. Um, Lily is from uh, Kentucky. She is from Central Kentucky specifically, but she does have ties to the Hazard area, which if you know much about Appalachia and much about Eastern Kentucky, that is the heart of coal country, um, very mountainous area. Um, so let's read Lily's story. I was about 10 at the time, so this would have been around 12 years ago, but I remember it pretty clearly. Growing up, we always went to stay with family in eastern Kentucky. My parents, my sister, and I were staying in our pop-up camper near one of my relative's houses. There was no indoor plumbing at the house, only an outhouse. In the middle of the night, no clue what time it was, but it had been dark for a while by then. I realized I had to pee. There was barely bleh, there was barely any moon out that night. I think it was just a sliver. I was scared to go out alone, but no one else was awake, so I decided to go anyway. As I was walking back, there was a clearing to my left and the forest on the side of the mountain to my right. For some reason, I decided to look into the woods and I froze. I couldn't see much, but in between the trees, I saw a tall, skinny, black shape with two shining silvery discs for eyes staring right at me. The forest was already almost completely dark, but the shape was darker somehow. It was staring me down and wouldn't look away. It didn't feel necessarily malevolent in the moment, but it was powerful and it definitely wasn't welcoming. I got the feeling that I was interrupting something and it was analyzing me. I couldn't move and I just stared back because I was scared shitless and had no clue what to do. After about a minute, its eyes flicked away from me and it disappeared into the forest. I now have a better understanding of seeing spirits, 
So in hindsight, I can say it was probably a spiritual presence, not physical. But beyond that, I still don't really know what it was. I recently listened to your podcast episode about the Wampus Cat, and now I'm starting to think that might be what it was. Maybe it was standing up or in the trees. Anyway, thank you for reading, and I hope you found it interesting. Sending love from Kentucky. Much love from northeastern Kentucky. Back to you, Lily. That was a crazy story. Um... a creature like the wampus cat um you know we have so many of those old native american stories of lore and a lot of them are fairly similar that you have to start wondering if there really isn't truth to it that it's not just a story i feel like there's a grain of truth in everything it may not be what we think that it is but it's very possible that these things exist I absolutely believe you saw something as somebody who has also seen things yeah like I absolutely believe that you saw what you saw could it have been the wampus cat yes could it have been any other number of things yes it could have just been a spirit of some sort I mean I know firsthand absolutely what you mean when you say it was darker than the darkness around it when i saw the tall man which is a shadow figure at waverly hills sanatorium that's how i describe it to people the building's dark there's no lights on inside you get a little bit of moonlight um in the front hallway where it's open air but in the rooms it's dark we had no flashlight, nothing like that. I came around a corner, looked into a dark room, and saw this shadow figure. The building is dark. This was deeper than the dark. And I feel like that's a hard thing for people to grasp if they've never seen that. So I absolutely know what you're saying when you say it was darker than the night around it. Especially if it, there was just a sliver of a moon that you're coming in or out of a new moon. Um, I, I absolutely understand that too. Um, yeah, like there's just so many different things it could have been. Um, interesting too that you say you, you now kind of understand more about seeing spirits and things. Um, I get that too. <laughs> like, yeah, I've seen, you know, shadow figures and things like that. I can't outright say that I've seen a ghost. I've had experiences where there have been presence around me and things like that. Um, and you can feel it. And, and I'm glad for you that it didn't feel malevolent, like it wasn't evil. Just that it was something we as humans can't grasp as natural, if, if that makes sense. It's hard for us to 
perceive things that we don't consider part of our sphere of understanding. We just can't quite wrap our minds around it, I guess. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a crazy story. Um, and given the area that you were in, I can absolutely believe that too, because it is very, very, very rural down there. Even a lot of the communities are very sequestered away. Um, it's definitely... that's seen a lot of hardship and, and pain and, and a lot of that too. Um, being a kind of mining area and, and all of that. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Like, I love when you guys send us stories. We don't get a ton of them, but when we do, wow, like you guys bring it. Like, I love hearing your guys' experiences as they tie into the things that we talk about here, or just, you know, tie into Appalachia, kind of giving credence to, like, the whole point of this podcast, to talk about how weird it is here, and all the different folklore, and all the different sightings, and cryptids, and, and paranormal things, and places. Um, so thank you again, Lily, for submitting that, and uh, if any of you are listening, and you guys have a story, even if you don't live in Appalachia, if you were visiting, or hiking, or you know people from the area, or you've had an experience at all, like, we would like to hear it. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be from Appalachia to have an experience. Um, you know, we're the Appalachian spooky hour, but we're cool with going outside the realm. So if you guys have a really cool story you want to share, submit it. Go to our um, website. I'll have it linked in the description of this episode. And just send us an email. We'd love 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 to hear from you but uh it's still raining very hard um yeah i think it set the mood a little bit for this episode but uh if you guys have ever heard of um wizard clip leave us a comment let us know where you heard about it if you've ever been to middleway um what you think the spirit might have been was it the stranger why did the stranger choose the Livingstons? Did he come there by happenstance? Was it divine intervention? Um, but that's all for this one, Spookies. I'm going to go enjoy the sound of the rain. But you guys remember, don't go outside alone after dark.